0: Well, we couldn't leave our Greatest Hits Old Testament series without hearing from one of the greatest and, I might say, groaniest prophets of the Old Testament. Jeremiah, called as a young man, probably in his late teens or early 20s, and having this 40-year prophetic run until his untimely, unsanctimonious death in Egypt in approximately 550 BCE. But as the prophets go, he lived that prophet MO. He was called by Yahweh. He was a PK, a priest kid. Any PKs in the house? Yes, yes, you know that pressure of, oh, you're going to do such great things for God, and your response is probably, no, not me. (laughs) So he pushes back on the call of God and says, here's a ton of reasons why I'm not going to speak forth on your behalf, Yahweh. But Yahweh assures him, it's going to be okay. Speak forth on my behalf. It's not the ideal vocational choice for Jeremiah. He doesn't win lots of friends. He doesn't influence lots of people in positive ways. There was one writer I was reading this week who says about Jeremiah, there was nothing in need of denunciation that Jeremiah didn't denounce. (laughs) That might have been the inscription on his tombstone. There was nothing in need of denunciation that Jeremiah did not denounce. And so we've been trying to learn from these prophets, these reluctant or reckless prophets, for several weeks now. And I hope you've been encouraged in your faith story, but maybe puzzled and baffled as well. Because there's no neat and tidy life for the prophet, is there? And that's probably good news because when we think about our life and our faith and us being a church together as a community of faith, it's not always neat and tidy for us as well. We face many messy and uncertain life scenarios. And sometimes that is a place called exile. And exile shows up four times in our second reading today, and I don't want us to get too distracted, but but I do want to at least maybe help find our context when we read about being a people of exile. There are some versions of North American Christianity that say, "Woe is us! We're a church in exile. We've been pushed to the margins." If only we had a Christian leader in power again, God's anointed, then we would make our nation God-fearing and Christian again. Or sometimes this version of Christianity says, we pray, O God, that you would get us out of exile and back to the center of power again, so that we can have a nation built on the founding fathers who we believe were Christian. Maybe you've even um, gone around town and seen different scriptures on the billboards in the city uh, with different Christian campaigns. There is one that often shows up. It's a verse from Chronicles that says, If my people will humble themselves and pray, then I will bring dominion to the land. Have you ever seen that billboard or that campaign on a Christian rally? Well, um, The preachers and ministers here don't believe that we serve an if-then God. We would take a bit of a different take on exile, and we're happy to banter about this after service or in the coming week. But uh, the perspective is more, let's not make such a big deal of exile because we're new covenant people. We live in the life and the light of the new covenant. Instead, what if exile isn't a woe-is-us place, but instead it's a place of realistically embracing where you've been planted? Sometimes this place can actually be a place of lament. And maybe lament is a better word for our 2019 imaginations as we think about exile i i found this prayer of lament this week and i think it might help us find our bearings with the jeremiah story today the prayer goes like this joblessness homelessness hopelessness and sorrow unloved unsafe oppressed and injured unled unbelieving alone and lonely Oh God, you send us into these places of exile. You ask us to settle in. You want our generations to be born here. You ask us to seek shalom for this city. You ask us to pray for this place. And pray we must. Peace, peace, peace. God sends us day after day into these places of hopelessness or sorrow or suffering and isolation, but we have this hope-filled, prayerful, good and holy work to do. And we're sent with a warning in verse 8 of today's second reading. We read, Do not let the prophets and diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie. I did not send them. And the context here is about um, one of Jeremiah's co-prophets named Hananiah. And in the midst of Israel being deported to Babylon, Hananiah says, hey everybody, it's going to be just fine, don't worry. Your time of displacement will be short-lived. A mere two years, just hang in there, it's going to get better. And we too have these voices in our church landscape. Voices that assure us that don't do anything too outlandish. Just hang in there because we're just going to be fine. There's this new wave of powerful Christianity taking over the land. I don't know if you're a Kanye West fan, but there's this Kanye West version of Christianity sweeping North America where it's like, we've got Kanye on our side. It's going to be great. False prophet. Instead, God offers another version. God says, it's going to be a long haul, everybody. And for Jeremiah, it's not two years. Jeremiah says, it's going to be 70 years. Almost three generations will have to live in this land before we see another hopeful intervention. So God says, hunker down. Embrace the place where you have been planted. This seems to be the way of God. It's A slow way versus the way of the quick fix. We read, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the shalom of the city. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray For in its shalom, you will find your shalom. So we have this work to do this fruit bearing, garden cultivating, holy and good work. And as we've often said, we actually take this on as our mission vision statement. It's right there on the bottom left hand corner of your cover. Week after week after week, seeking the peace and well-being of the city. Fifteen years ago, I'm told that our church spent some intentional time reflecting on whether we should stay or should we go. And I'm grateful that we had the the courage or the wisdom or the gumption to stay. Because we could have sold our property for over a million dollars, right? We could have moved to the Burbs. Ah, all that parking... But our leadership uh, team at that time said, no, we're going to stay. We're going to seek the peace and well-being. This is a a, a vision statement we've had since the early 90s. So 27 years about we've had this vision statement. So 15 years ago we said, no, we're going to seek the peace and well-being of the city from the heart of the city. And I'm blessed and encouraged by that decision, and I hope you are as well. If you were at our semi-annual meeting this past week, we talked about what that means to seek peace and well-being in the city, and for some of the current things going on, it means refugee sponsorships, it means continuing to fund our annual budget and supporting our ministry programs and ministry staff and the partnerships that we do locally and global. It means continuing to pay off our organ debt, the $400,000 restoration project that we did a few years ago. It means being that welcoming, traditional, liturgical, organ, and choir-infused, welcoming church in the heart of the city. Welcoming all peoples, and we talked about this even at the semi-annual meeting. What does it mean to welcome all people? It means you are welcome here regardless of your gender, your age, your socioeconomic status, your sexual orientation, your marital situation, you are welcome here. That's what it looks like for us to presently seek peace and well-being in this city. We are pressing into these promises of Jeremiah. And the promise is goodness for us. Like Don was saying, as we seek the peace and well-being of the city, we also find that shalom and peace and well-being also pours back into us. It's one of that, it's one of this rhythms of journey inward and journey outward faith that Jeremiah is speaking of. We do this corporately, we do this individually, and this week I I got permission from a few people to talk about some of the congregational stories. I won't name their names, but this is how some of our congregants are seeking peace and well-being of the city. We have the the congregant who's caring for those who are struggling with mental illness, coming alongside them in a compassionate, passionate, patient kind of way. The story of the FBC congregant who's advocating for an overwhelmed refugee family as they struggle to make it a day at a time in our city. The story of the congregant who's seeking to volunteer with an organization that helps marginalize LGBTQ persons, especially those who are refugees and newcomers, guiding them through the system with the asylum process. The story of our FBC congregant who's leading sharing circles for junior high students, mostly indigenous students, providing a place for them to learn about their cultural teachings in a safe And respectful setting. These are good stories, and I know that many of you echo these stories in the places, in the classrooms, and the hallways, and the offices that you are called to week after week. And so we pray that this place, First Baptist, would be a place of peace and well-being for you, week after week, to worship to be spiritually formed so that then you can be sent back into the world. And I want to close with a couple of practices because we often talk about spiritual formation, but we also encourage you to practice spiritual disciplines. And Walter Brueggemann, the 86-year-old Old Testament scholar who we often get lots of good cues from and encouragement from when we preach the prophets, talks about two spiritual practices for churches that do this work of seeking peace and well-being in the city. The first one is othering. Othering. He says it's not about tolerating the other, it's about the risk of honoring the other. Othering. He says this is going to be an inconvenient discipline. But he writes that the practice of othering includes self-abandonment for the neighbor, not needing to be 1st or best, or most advanced, or having one's way. He says that beyond the world of exclusion and rejection and hostility is a world that we can offer as the church, that welcomes and sees the other, not as a threat or a competitor, but as a cohort on the pilgrimage of humanity. That's the practice or the spiritual discipline of othering. The other one is outrageous generosity. And I'll invite you to um, find this green prayer that's in your bulletin. Because this prayer will cue us up for outrageous generosity. Because in a world of scarcity, in a world of the clenched fist, God invites us to outrageous generosity. Again, when Brueggemann writes about Uh, outrageous generosity, he says, those who live in the good news of God have been given an abundance of life, and they are to let that abundance overflow, spill over into the life of the neighborhood. So with us as the people of God, First Baptist Church, seeking peace and well-being of the city, with us on the eve of a new Christian year, Maybe othering and outrageous generosity might be some spiritual disciplines we might practice in the season of Advent. Because it's the Christmas season has already descended upon us, right? This world of buy, buy, buy. Get more possessions. Fill your house with more commodities. In the midst of that, it's a real discipline to say no. No. I'm going to practice othering. I'm going to practice outrageous generosity. And so I want to encourage us with this prayer, and maybe this prayer will be something that you post on your fridge or on your bathroom mirror in the days and weeks ahead. I'm going to lead us in the regular print, but the bold print will be an opportunity for us to pray this together liturgically. You are the God who feeds and nourishes. You are the God who assures that we have more than enough. And we do not doubt that. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. Even in such an assurance, however, we scramble for more food. After we have filled all our baskets with manna, we seek a surplus. Enough education to plan ahead. Enough Power to protect our supply, enough oil to assure that protection. And in the midst of that comes your word that we share bread and feed the hungry, even to the least, and so to you. We mostly keep our bread for ourselves, our neighbors, and friends. It does not occur to us often to feed our enemies. To share your bounty with those who threaten us. We do not often remember to break vicious cycles of hostility by free bread, by free water, by free wine, by free milk. Until we remember that you are the giver of all good gifts, ours to enjoy, ours to share. Stir us by your spirit beyond fearful accumulation, toward outrageous generosity, that giving bread to others makes for peace, that giving drink to others makes for justice, that giving and sharing opens the world and assures abundance for all. We pray this even as we ponder the gift of your Son, whom we ingest as bread and wine and tasting, find ourselves forgiven and renewed. Fill us till we want no more.